this evening, I'm turning to the book of James, James chapter 4, and I want to just read a few verses with you from this chapter, James chapter 4 and verses 13, 14 and 15. This is James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, writing, and he says this, James chapter 4 and verse 13, go to now. Ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this. All that. And my title this evening is What is Your Life? What is Your Life? James, here in this passage that we just read, asks his readers this very question What is your life? And the sense of what James is saying here is this if you were to look at life, if you were to carefully analyze life and then try, as it were, and describe it, how would you? sum up what life is what is the character what is the nature of your life so James asks this question what is your life and James actually in this passage he answers his own question and what he says in this passage may surprise us because his brief but detailed description in many ways is very sobering as he describes and he answers this question of what is life? And so this evening I want us to look at what James says here in this passage as we seek to answer this question of what is life. And I think the first thing that we could note from these verses is that life is uncertain. Life is uncertain. In verse 13, James begins to describe someone who is making plans concerning the future. He says, go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. That phrase there at the beginning of the verse, go to now, simply means come and listen to me. I've got something to say, so so listen up for a moment. And then he paints this this picture. And it's someone, uh, this picture is of someone who's got the future all planned. He's got everything yeah, all the, 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 you know, the I's dotted and the T's crossed as to what he's going to do in the future. It's all mapped out for him in front of him. They know everything that's going to happen. They know, firstly, for example, what they're going to do. You notice that in, in that verse. James says this person is going to buy and sell. Literally, the, the Greek there means they're going to merchandise. They will be a merchant. The person is going to take their wares and they're going to buy stock and they're going to sell stock. And they're going to pursue their their business endeavours. But not only does James tell us uh, that this person knows exactly what they're going to do, but they know when they're going to do it too. James says here that this person says today or tomorrow. The point is this, they have an exact date down in the calendar. They open up their diary, as it were, and they have a quick look. And and yes, it's booked for tomorrow. They're going to do this. They've got it mapped out. And not only do they know exactly what they're going to do, and they know exactly when they're going to do it, but they know where they're going to do it too. James says they're going to go into such a city. 
They've got, as it were, a place particularly in mind. You can imagine James standing there with a map. They're going to go into such a city. This is what they're going to do. Here is this merchant man with his goods. He knows he's off to this particular place. Even in the, in the days of the New Testament when James was writing, people were, were travelling very widely, weren't they? All throughout the Roman Empire. A merchant man might go to Ephesus for a time and then they go on to Philippi and on to Antioch and maybe on to Rome a little while later and so on. And this person that James describes, they know exactly which city they're going to. But James takes it even further, doesn't he, in this description, because this person not only knows what they're going to do and when they're going to do it and where they're going to do it, but they also know for how long. It says here in this verse, they're going to continue there a year. You can hear this businessman talking, can't you, as he's describing what he's going to do. Well, I'm going to give it a year in such a place and I'm going to see how my, you know, but the things I'm selling, how it gets on, how business is doing, see what trade's like. At the end of the year, I'll have a review of my stock. I'll have a review of how much money I've made. I've got it all in hand. I'm going to continue there a year. But James goes even further because there's a final thing that he adds here. Because not only does this person know what he's going to do, when he's going to do it, where he's going to do it, and for how long, but he also knows he's going to be successful. He says here he's going to continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. This man's confident. This man, he, he knows that his product's going to sell. He's got a business plan and he's a businessman and, he, and he does, he's done the sums. You can see it, can't you? He's got this forecast for the coming year. He knows exactly what the cost of production is, how much one unit has cost him to produce he knows his margins, he knows his overheads, and he's confident, he's sure. When I get to that city, the product's going to sell. It's going to fly off, fly off the shelves, and I'm going to get gain. And you can see him, can't you, in his, in his confidence, his, in his, confident in his ability to sell it. He's got charisma, perhaps, you know, as a salesperson. And so he sees a healthy profit at the end. He's already rubbing his hands. Everything's planned. It's a bit like that program that I don't know if it's still on television where people get to try and apply, don't they, for a job with Lord Sugar. And they have these business plans and they, they forecast, you know, in five years' time they're going to be making 10 million a year. So confident. It isn't hard, is it, to translate this, uh, this verse here into a modern equivalent, is it? This businessman or businesswoman, you know, they've got their Apple Watch and they've got their iPhone and they're all synced and their calendar's synced with their boss at work and it's synced with their husband or wife at home and they, a quick glance at their diary, they know exactly what they're doing. Tomorrow they're in London for a meeting between 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock. Three weeks' time, they've got a flight to Geneva, better business out there. Everything's booked. Oh, we know we're flying from Heathrow. The PA booked it for me last week. A little bit further ahead in the diary, April half term, we're off on holiday, off to Centre Parks with the kids, it's going to be a great time. Everything's planned, so confident. People are so confident about life. And what's going to happen, but what does James say at the beginning of verse 14? He says, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. None of us have any idea really, do we, what will happen tomorrow let alone in a, in a year's time. We can't see what's just around the corner. We don't even know what's going to happen tonight before we get home. We have no idea what 
tragedy will be ours or what triumph. We don't know what news we may receive tomorrow that may turn our lives completely upside down. That's why Solomon writes, doesn't he, in Proverbs 27 and verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. He says we don't even, we don't even know what, what tomorrow will bring. Maybe tomorrow will be the day of our death. We don't know, do we? Friends, do you, do you realize tonight how uncertain life is? Do you realize how you can have so little presumption? You, you cannot presume upon tomorrow. We cannot presume upon another minute. Are we prepared for this uncertainty? James says to us here, life is uncertain. But he goes on and he says something else here because he says life is frail. Life is frail, he says there. James, he asks this question in verse 14 there, what is your life? And then he immediately answers the question by using a picture. And it's an interesting picture because he says in verse 14, it is even a vapor. Now I'm sure many of us would rather that he had said something else. You know, our lives are like a rock. Something that's strong, something that's immovable, something that's solid and sure. Or even it would have been better if he'd said, you know, our life is like a tree that's rooted and it's planted and it grows and it flourishes and it produces fruit. But, but James doesn't say that. James says our lives are as a vapor. Our lives are like a, a mist that rolls over the hills on a spring morning. Our lives are like the steam that rises from the kettle when we, when we boil it. James says this is what your life is like. Now, a mist, a vapour that rises up, it's so unsubstantial, isn't it? You can see a mist, you see it rising out of the kettle, it appears before your eyes, but it isn't solid, is it? You can't grasp it, you can't take hold of it, that there's a frailty to it. And James says, this is what your life is like. So fleeting, so frail, so unsubstantial. We may like to think that our lives are solid like a rock. We may like to think that we're secure like a a well-planted tree, that whatever comes our way, we bend and we move with the wind and with with the tides of of life and so on. But in reality, they're like the steam that, that comes out of the kettle. Friends here this evening, do you ever stop and think about your life? Do you stop and think about just how frail life is? How weak we are? Even the the strongest, even the fittest of people and the most able of people, their life is like a vapour. So frail, so weak, so um, unsubstantial. And yet the wonderful thing is that for the person who is in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the man or woman who is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, they, their life has some substance and, and is substantial. Because they await a world where, there is, where it is substantial and solid. A place which is everlasting. A place where there is no death and decay and, and fr- fragility and frailty. Life there is not like a vapour. No, in, in, in the eternal world you have eternal life and it's solid and it's secure. And, and sometimes we, we fail to realise this, that the world, the everlasting world, is more substantial than this world. But James says to us here, our life here is frail. 
Not only is it frail, but we could then add a third thing here because James goes on to show us that it's also insignificant. Insignificant. By using this picture of a vapour, James is really showing to us really how insignificant our lives are here on earth. When you think about a vapour that rises, when you think about a mist on the hills, we don't really give it any regards, do we? That mist that is present perhaps on our way to work as we're driving, but very quickly burns off. We don't really give it a second thought. When we boil the kettle, we don't really pay any attention, do we, or any regard to the, the, the vapour that comes out of the kettle. It's produced and then it's gone and we've just, we forget about it. It's so insignificant. And in a sense, so are our lives. Our lives are, are, are so insignificant. When we, can, com, com, when we compare ourselves to the billions of other people on this planet, what makes us so special? Well, we're just another human being, aren't we? Another human being living on this mortal coil. There's billions of human beings. What makes you or me special? And then when you look at our lives and you compare it with human history and you weigh your life up against the sands of time, you begin to realise just how insignificant our little lives are. Only a very small, very, very small number of people actually make an impact on this world. Only a very small proportion of people become famous and are remembered down through, down through the centuries. Only a few make great contributions to society. The rest of us just exist. We're like ants, aren't we, in a great colony running around, busy with our lives, but we're really nobodies. Most people don't live life today with any great purpose in mind. We just live. We go to work. We do our jobs. We come home. We get older and we get older and we carry on doing our work and so on and then we retire. But our lives really have made no any contribution to this world. And of course when we're gone we'll just be forgotten. So insignificant. James says we're like a vapour. And friends tonight I don't want to sound depressing but it's true isn't it when you actually weigh your life up. But for the Christian it, it, this is not true. The Christian lives for Christ and he lives to glorify God. And we're servants of God as we were thinking of this morning. And the Christian has a great purpose. It's a noble purpose. Our life is not lived just to exist, but it's lived for God. It may be insignificant to those who are around us. It may be insignificant to this world in one sense, but it has great significance to God's. See, faith in Christ provides a wonderful significance to your life. You realize that you're living for something far higher, for something far greater. You're living for a world to come and for a God who has loved you and, and given his son for you. And that's worth living for. It brings purpose to your life. Let me ask you this evening, do you have this purpose? Are you living for Christ because you know Christ is your savior? Or is your life just insignificant? But I think we can take what James says here and go a little further as well. Because not only does he highlight it in this metaphor that, that life is, is frail and insignificant, but he goes on to show also through this metaphor that life is short. He says our life, in verse 14, it is even a vapour that appeareth for a little time. He says look at the mist, you know, just look at the mist that lies on the hills, that blanket that, that covers the hills in the morning. It's only there for a little while. 
It's only there for a very short time. When the sun comes up, it's very quickly burnt off and it's gone. You see this especially, don't you, when you boil the kettle, turn the kettle on, the steam, it rises, but it's only very brief. It's very short. And James highlights here in this verse 14 that our lives are so short, we're only here on this earth for a tiny fraction of time. I like it that James says here that appear for a little time. Time, it reminds us that we're creatures of time. We're only here for a short time. We're here on planet Earth where there is time and the clock is ticking. And our time is short. When we compare the average lifespan to the age of this earth, it is so short. When we begin to realize that our our three score years and ten on this this earth, it's so short, it's so fleeting. And not only that, it appears to speed up, doesn't it, and get faster and faster and faster as the older you get. One year seemed to take forever when you were a child. It just seemed to be forever and ever and ever to your next birthday. And you, you just seemed to go on and on. But then as you get older, doesn't it, another birthday passes and another passes and another passes and very soon you go from 20 to 30 and some of you here can talk more about this than I can but you go from 30 to 40 to 40 to 50 before you know it, you've reached your 70 years. That's why Job says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. That's coming from a man who lived to 140 my life is just like a weaver's shuttle it's gone in Psalm 39 verse 5 the psalmist says behold thou hast made my days as an handbreadth just like something so short something so fleeting and as life accelerates you find that you slow down don't you you can no longer do what you wanted to do. You can't move as fast as you used to do. You can't bend like you used to. You, you have aches and you have pains. And for some people, of course, this life is, is very short. I'm sure we could all mention someone here that we knew who's died when they were very young. When I was at Sixth Form College, I remember there was, a, there was a lad who just didn't appear one day for classes. And he had died in his sleep, 17 years old. He had a degenerative heart condition that he didn't know of. One day just didn't appear for college and he's gone, 17. And other people, it's when they're even younger. And for others, it's in their 20s and 30s. You've only got to walk around a graveyard and look at the names and then the dates of when they were born and when they died to realize there's every kind of age, death comes. Even if we live to 70 or 80 or 90, our life is so short. And of course that leads us on to say not only is life uncertain and frail and insignificant and short, but James highlights here for us that life also ends. Notice what James says, there is even a vapour that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. It's gone. Physical life comes to an end. There's a day when we're born, yes, but there's also a day when we die, as Solomon tells us. There'll be a day when we vanish away, and all that'll be left of us is a tombstone. A tombstone that has our our name on it, and it has the dates that we lived, and maybe something else underneath. Not much to record all of your life. But even the gravestones fade over time. Even they get eroded and even the the letters and the numbers fall off that. 
Even if our graves are maintained by loved ones after a few, you know, loved ones come and they clean the tomb and they take away the, the debris there and they put flowers there and so on, very soon they're gone and your grave is forgotten and you're forgotten. And we pass from this world. Friend, what will be left of you? We have a few photos, don't we, of loved ones who've died. A few memories in the back of your minds to those who have been left behind. It isn't much, is it? James says here we vanish away. Psalm 103 that we read earlier said that as for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For as the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. And so the place thereof shall know it no more. Do you realize that, friends, tonight, that one day your life is going to come to an end and there'll be a point where everyone has forgotten all about you, forgotten all the things that you did, forgotten all the things that you said. You'll be forgotten. The place will no longer remember you. Are you ready for that day when you'll vanish away? Are you ready for that day when you'll die? It's a sobering thought, isn't it, what James is telling us here? Life is short, yes, but life also ends. And that leads me to consider one final thing that James mentions here in this passage tonight because he shows to us that life is a gift. Life is a gift. He's described life for us. He's drawn this picture of someone who is earth-centred pursuing this world in verse 13 and doing so presumptuously as if they have no thought for God. And he's highlighted how frail and uncertain and insignificant life is His description has shown to us the brevity of life. But then in verse 15, he says, For that you ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. You see, now James brings the Lord into the equation. He now brings him. He's showing to us life comes from him. Life and the events of life are all determined by him. He is the sovereign God who's in control of all things. He is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. James has already highlighted back in chapter 1 this truth. If you turn back with me just a page to James chapter 1 and verse 17. And he says this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And he's saying to us, our lives are a gift from God. They've come down from God. And of course, this verse not only reminds us that everything that we have in this life comes from him, including our breath, including our lives, including our strength and our health, but it's also reminding us that he sent the greatest gift that came down from above. That he sent the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world. And you remember what Paul tells us about the gift of life. You remember what he says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And friends, this is what we really need. We all have physical life. You're here this evening. You're living and you're breathing and you've been here on planet Earth for so many years. But what you really need is not physical life, but eternal life. This life is uncertain. This life is is insecure and short. This life is frail. This life is insignificant. But eternal life, that's sure. 
That's secure, isn't it? That's something that's permanent. That has significance. And all of us are destined to die at some point. Death comes to all of us. But will you have eternal death afterwards? Friends, if you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, what you need is eternal life because eternal death awaits when that moment comes when you vanish from this life. And so maybe you say to me tonight, well, how can I have this eternal life? Remember what Paul says in that verse, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how you can have eternal life. It's only through Christ. It's only through trusting in him. Here's the answer. Christ came into the world, didn't he? He lived a life, not an insignificant life, but a life lived perfectly for God, as we were thinking this morning. Every step pursuing the will of God, but he also died. And his death was not like our death. His death was not a death where he vanished away. His death was a sacrifice. It was the giving of a life. He died so that we might have life. Not life in this world, but life to come, eternal life. And on the cross, it was there that the Lord Jesus Christ, that cross that we've been singing about, he was taking the punishment for our sins, the sins of his people, including the sin of your presumption. And he was dying in his people's place, wasn't he? And when we come and we trust in him, we receive this eternal life. Friends, this evening, have you done that? Or are you you still living like this man in James chapter 4? Are you still living with no regard for God? Are you still living like the psalmist says, no God for me? The fool have said in his heart, there is no God. I'm going to carry on life as if he's not there. Tomorrow I'm going to go into such and such a city. I'm going to buy and sell and get gain. I'm going to carry on as if there is no God. Or are you going to come and say, no, I realise My life comes from God's, and I need eternal life. I need Christ. Will you come and trust in him? Friends, tonight can I implore you, don't boast yourself of tomorrow. Don't carry on living with no regard for God. Instead, come and trust in the Saviour of sinners.